Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's a mailbag edition, answering all your questions. You guys absolutely brought it this week. Some really great off-season questions. You guys are really getting into that off-season form. Uh, a lot of fun hypotheticals that you guys threw out this week and really appreciate it. Uh, so we're going to try to answer all these. And here to help me do it is my dear pal. Find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Youthful Regis himself. Matthew Lane. Have you recovered from your game so- game show hosting? I have. I have taken a few victory laps. They did host a parade for me coming home with the very first championship of the gauntlet t-shirt, trophy, and belt. Yeah, you win it all. You might find out one day. You might not. But I have a quick question. What does off-season form for the listeners mean? Are you calling them out for slacking? Or what, is, what does off-season form mean, Kent? Here's what it means. You're trying. You're trying. You're trying to slander me. It's not going to work. There is a point. This is called filler busting. No, this is this is legitimate. There's a point where in the off season, everyone kind of flips the switch. I think there was some recovery from the season. There was some recovery from the pain of the game that we're not going to remotely talk about. There's no. There's no questions about said game, for instance, really, in these questions, and it has all gone into a series of hypotheticals and and what ifs where you know everyone is now playing the offseason game in their heads i would do this we should sign this we should draft this person everyone's kind of got all that in their head now they've got their heads wrapped around a lot of different scenarios and they're being presented to us that's what i mean so no maddie i knew exactly what that meant it's not slander it's just an it's just a, a, an observation I've been able to make. That was a good green shell for deflection. I don't know if anyone's buying it, but it was a good deflection. As you guys might be able to tell, we are missing the glue that holds us together tonight. Craig Stout is not here. That is how we are like 13 minutes into this podcast talking about Mario Kart at this point in time. Things happen when the big RM is not around. You know, <laughs> things get out of control. But uh, we should pro- we should probably get this bad boy back on track. I think. Yes. No, here's the thing. When, when, when one of us is gone, it turns into an hour-long pod. So our, our goal here, Maddie, is to not spend 60 minutes on this. Let's somehow find a way to control ourselves. And we'll just jump right into the questions. Maybe that'll be a way that we can control ourselves here. And we'll start with the five-star review questions. If you like the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel, if you like what's going on, you like this show, please, please feel free to leave a five-star review. Uh, we would uh, we'd be happy to answer it, uh, answer a question that you throw in there as well. And Dahami De- did that and said, what do you think about Wyatt Hubert, defensive end from K-State, for anybody that didn't know, being drafted by KC? 
So I'm going to tread lightly because I know we have a lot of K-State listeners and Wyatt Hubert was a fantastic player for his time at Kansas State. He went down to the Senior Bowl and I think you kind of got an idea there of what the NFL sees him as, which is a little bit of an energy guy because he was pretty much just getting reps against the air while other guys got real one-on-one practice reps and he took advantage of it. He stayed active. He was doing push-ups. He was getting off the line of scrimmage like he was on the rush, but it was versus air. He just didn't get that many snaps. I think that shows you what the NFL thinks. He's a great college player, but he would have some of the shortest arms for a defensive, an NFL defensive end, I think, of all time. I mean, I think he checked in, I think, right at 30 inches, if I remember correctly, for his arm length, which is just some of the shortest arms you're going to find at that position. I think he's probably too big, not agile enough to get off ball to play as a 3-4 outside linebacker or a strong side linebacker. So just, it's a weird fit projecting him to the next level, and especially for the Chiefs who love length in their defensive ends and like strong side linebackers that do have some form of coverage ability. I just don't know if there's much of a fit for him. Uh, yeah, I think they even tried to kick him inside a couple times and it did not go well. They're really, I mean, he, he had a rough, he had a rough process there. Zach Miley. Here's a question. I've been hearing a lot about signing a good edge player this off season, but I've got a feeling that that's not going to happen. Partially because the pass rush from last year is a bit underrated. How would you guys feel about signing someone like Levante David or Quan Alexander and re-signing Taco Charlton instead of shooting for the stars with J.J. Watt? Um, I don't know if investing heavily at the linebacker position is going to be good business for this football team. Um, Just, I mean, I understand what you're trying to do, but I mean, man, if they they put a ton of assets into the, the, more assets in the linebacker position, I'm not going to be thrilled. Willie Gay... And Anthony Hitchens should be the two players that see the most snaps next year. Um, I would rather see the Chiefs, honestly. I, I don't think the defensive, I don't think the pass rush was underrated. I think it was bad. And I think it was very top heavy. And the top heaviness still didn't produce all that much. I don't think Chris Jones and Frank Clark had great years, uh, frankly. So um, Taco Charlton, they should resign, but they should, they should also add more depth up front to that group. Uh, and, figure something else differently out at linebacker all right let's jump to the twitter questions and only here for sports asks if someone were to start watching film on draft eligible players what platform do you recommend where can good footage be at accessed uh there is i'll, I'll just i'll just make it easy here people wanting to start just jumping off where we, everyone starts is youtube where or all of us got our start back in the day was youtube Go and look for Trevor Lawrence verse, and you'll find a variety of cutups of him and basically every other draft eligible prospect. You can find Nick Bolton verse and get a couple games of of player, you know, of of the Missouri linebacker. I think that's a good place to start. It's tough because there is a ton of context missed, flat out. I'm not going to pretend like it's not. But that's the easiest way for someone just kind of wanting to get their feet wet and get an understanding of that is probably the place to start, even though it is really difficult at times, uh, for especially some of the positions. I mean, your safety. <laughs> like, what are you? You're not going to see much from that from that from that broadcast view. But there's going to be all kinds of broadcasts that you're going to have to watch to get going on this, and and, and that's really the way you're going to be able to do it. Um, Nate CH 32, 
Who is the Jalen Ferguson of this class, Maddie? And it can be any position. I don't know if I have a particular one right now. I mean, I think there's a handful of guys that are going to test a little bit lower than we think. But if I had to throw out one guy that I think is going to come out and have really bad athletic testing in one specific drill, hey, probably the three cone. I'd say Trey Smith, offensive lineman out of Tennessee, is... I think there's still some people out there that think he is a very good athlete, a guy that could kick out to offensive tackle. I think he's going to come out and test. He's going to be explosive. I just think when you start getting into the agility drills, he's going to test like an unagile interior offensive lineman. So I just think that'll catch some people by surprise. That was where I was going, of course. And I don't know if Nate was wanting to go with like, who's the guy I dislike irrationally or like who's going to be the most disappointing tester or, Oh, you're going to dislike most... Larry Roundtree the most. Yeah. I mean, maybe I, I need to go back and circle back some more on him. Cause I know he's getting a lot of love. I just don't see it. I just don't see the same kind of athletic profile that, that gets me excited about him. I think he's just a guy that's just going to get what's there. Um, I would have gone with Trey. <laughs> I would have gone with Trey Hill though. Probably if I'm being honest, uh, the captain KC, what skill set do you think the Chiefs prioritize at the X receiver? Is it just a physical specimen like Nico Collins or a more refined player? A need to beat press. Obviously can't expect a finished product in the draft. So what's the starting point? It's a little tricky because for Andy Reid, the wide receiver position is you don't get to play just the X wide receiver. You don't get to play just the Z. You don't get to play just in the slot. You do have to have the ability to play everywhere. So you have to start there. But as we've seen with Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, you can specialize in a specific one. And what made Sammy Watkins such a good X wide receiver for the Chiefs is that he could beat the press coverage. He was physical enough to play over the middle of the field. He could handle, you know, taking hits from safeties, from linebackers. He could box out and present himself as a big target for Patrick Mahomes when he needed to. And he still had some level of ability to stretch the field vertically. I think that is the one specific thing that you have to remember for Andy Reid. Every player on the field has to have some kind of vertical element or he's not going to matter. Like they have to have a vertical element. So you're not going to get a six foot six, 230 pound wide receiver out there. Cause he's just simply never going to be able to provide that vertical aspect that you need occasionally. So if I would say a guy like Nico Collins would make a lot of sense, he can do all those things. It's just going to take him a lot of time to learn not only the X position, but every other position. But I think you're looking for a guy that's most likely going to be in the six foot to six foot one range around 200 pounds, they're not looking for a massive receiver. They're just looking for a bigger than average wide receiver that can do a little bit of everything, but specifically has experience beating press coverage and working over the middle of the field. Hey, we got to circle back to Nate's question because I have another, I have a, a follow-up to that. What is Jalen Ferguson's three cone in this draft process? <laughs> Sub seven? Oh yeah, my guy's yeah. definitely running like a six eight three if he was at the XOs or the uh-ohs uh combine that they <laughs> put out there where every where I don't think a single four four athlete has ever existed. Jonathan Adams is all of a sudden just Megatron. Like <laughs> and like I don't I know there's a lot of love for Jonathan Adams, but I do not see remotely that kind of athlete. That's a bit, if you could, Jonathan Adams has some good tape, but when you go and watch him, he doesn't outrun average college cornerbacks, but he's out here putting up a sub four or five at that size. Like that's just, that's wild to me that they thought, that's like Cam Dantzler showing up and claiming to run a four, two or whatever he did. Like, it's just, no one believes it. 
he went from yeah, Cam Dantzler went from like a four six to I don't know what four three something ridiculous like that. AC Rocker, how's how's the scheme fit for Zaven Collins in C Spagnolo's D? Really good and really bad because I don't know where you play him. He technically will fit all of the thresholds in terms of length and size that Steve Spagnuolo usually looks for out of off-ball linebackers. He's actually bigger than anything that he's ever really fielded before, but he's also going to be more athletic. And while I don't think Spagnuolo is going to rule out an athletic linebacker, it's just it's got to come with a high IQ and it's got to come with a guy that usually has good length, a good quality frame, and Zayvon Collins has those things. As a player profile, the athletic profile probably fits better at edge than it does off-ball linebacker, but would you really want to kick him down into a full-time defensive end role? So it's really, he could fit in multiple spots. It's just where does he specialize in enough to be worth the pick that you'd have to spend on him for a defense that doesn't play their off-ball linebackers in such a versatile position. I think if the Chiefs drafted Zavin Collins, I think there would be some frustration with how he was able to be utilized because the expectation would be high for him in some places and he would underwhelm, I think. Like trying to play on the line of scrimmage as an end, as a, as a rush and or like a dime rusher, I think you'd be disappointed. I think you would see him and they'd probably feel the necessity to play him at 260 pounds as a coverage player because he... he I mean, he's a better coverage player than some of the linebackers the Chiefs have right now. But then you'd be looking at him going, man, he could be so much more than just this. Yeah, no, I mean, that was going to be your issue. No matter who drafts him, that's going to be the issue is you're getting essentially a coverage linebacker, but then you see his frame, you see just everything he does at that size and you're going to want more. And right now he's still working on adding all of that. And then for Steve Spagnuolo's defense specifically, that exact frame, I mean, that's a perfect frame for a pass rusher. And Zayvon Collins does have some blitzing skills, but his pass rush plan is lacking. He doesn't use his hands particularly well, whether he's taking on offensive linemen from a stacked position or when he's rushing the passer. So it's just kind of, you would, it would take some time to work him in. And I really do think he's going to work better in a defensive front that's constantly changing, like the New England or the Miamis, where he can stand up, he can hover over the A-gap, then he can put his hand in the dirt and just move around consistently. I don't think that's the Chiefs' defense as of now. Jackie Jared, 428. If you were to transfer someone from the Royals to the Chiefs, who would it be and what position would they play? I'm getting Adalberto Mondesi five touches a game. I'm utilizing him in the gadget role, and I'm getting him the ball in his hands and letting him make some plays. Who? I, Maddie, I don't need this slander right now. I've seen you wear a royal shirt. You don't need to be a snob about it. Why don't you just go watch some minor league baseball in Greensboro or wherever? Raul Alberto Mondesi, Raul Mondesi's son, getting him five touches a game, electric with the ball in his hands, I believe. Matt Connor asks, give me your take on Marvin Wilson in red and gold. I would be okay with it if the Chiefs were planning on moving on from Derek Nottie in the near future, which I don't think they should do, but that's about the only role that I see Marvin Will Wilson fulfilling for the Chiefs. And even then, I think this year especially, and even in, at times last year, he's looked like a lesser version of what Derek Nottie has been in the NFL or even going back to Florida State. 
I think he's a guy that his arms are just a little too short. He struggles to play with the kind of length that he needs to for the way his his athletic profile works out. He's got a good first step, but he's not particularly agile. He doesn't have great lateral agility, so he's never going to be a great pass rusher. And then you combine that with a big barrel chest, not super long arms, and you're essentially going to be a nose tackle that plays the run. And just Derek Nottie's phenomenal at that. I don't know if Marvin Wilson could match. I wouldn't hate the concept if, for whatever reason, the Chiefs moved on from Chris Jones getting a Marvin Wilson type and just playing two bigger defensive tackles as long as you improve the edge rush on the outside, but that's just a complete hypothetical for how I think would only reason it would make sense to get a Marvin Wilson in round three or four. Yeah, you'd be getting better on base downs against the run, against the run, and then you're kicking defensive ends inside anyway. And Steve Spagnuolo's manufacturing is—it's in him to manufacture pressure. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly just, how he's played with the Giants in both stints in the past. Yeah, I don't think people understand. Like Steve Spagnuolo has adapted with what with the talent that he has in Kansas City, and he is going against some of the things that he typically does and some of the trends that he consistently has followed historically. Uh, as a defensive coordinator. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, we're answering your questions from Twitter. And Andrew Nagel, too, asks, would Matt Skura be a good ad for the Chiefs? He had a pro- poor season but was pretty reliable before this year. Seems like he could be relatively cheap. He can't be worse than Ryder and could at least add some veteran depth. Yeah, I think my big concern with Skura is he took a big step back without Marshall Yonda playing next to him. So is he a guy that needs to be flanked by two really good offensive guards and then that way he can kind of just look to help consistently? Because if that's the case, then I would see no reason to spend money on him and I don't think he'd be stepping into that situation for the Chiefs. That being said, he can't be a whole lot worse than Austin Ryder. He has probably been better than Ryder has been in the past a couple of years ago. So why not bring him in as long as you're not relying on him to be a day one starter? You're either making him earn that job or bring him in to kind of just be a utility backup on the interior. I have nothing against it. I don't think he'll be expensive. It's just I don't think you can make that move and expect him to make much of a difference. Province Scott, who is going to be the one player Brett Veach grabs that will drive you nuts after he makes the pick but then he'll be a genius the day after the season. 
okay. <laughs> um, I think we talked about him a little bit earlier. And I'm <laughs> just work with me here, Maddie. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm on the edge of my seat for this. I will be very I will be very upset if the Chiefs went and added Trey Smith. Uh I can tell you I won't like the pick. I could see the Chiefs taking him at like sixty three. I think the highs on his tape, this is this is how some organizations will look and some coaches will look at the tape. They'll say, give me the best 25 plays of this guy. And Trey Smith has some high-level plays that are a lot of fun. He also has insane amounts of plays where he's clunky and terrible in space, out over his skis all the time, um, a complete lack of balance. I could see the Chiefs looking at the high-level plays and getting functional, average starter guard play out of him, and all of us going, okay, fine. There you go, Maddie. I think it would be even more wild if the Chiefs took Trey Smith. He then stepped in and played offensive tackle because there are some teams that think he can't. I mean, that's been a thing with Trey Smith going back two years is that some teams have always seen him as an offensive tackle. So imagine the Chiefs coming out here and taking this guy that has such polar opposite views on him in the draft community he steps in plays offensive tackle and does so well like if all of a sudden all that athleticism and potential clicks that would that would be a very good move for Veach my choice though any linebacker in the top 63 picks not named Micah Parsons because I think it is just a complete waste of draft capital I really don't think that they need to draft another linebacker to immediately come in to start learning to play next to Willie Gay, who was just drafted in that same range last year, you don't need two linebackers, especially in back-to-back years, that cost that much value. You see all around the NFL right now, teams that are paying two linebackers a lot of money or that are spending that much draft capital and cash on guys of the same position are struggling. They're in a spot where they're having to trade Quan Alexander and then get rid of him again. It just It doesn't work. There's no need to. But if they drafted a Zayvon Collins or a Nick Bolton, and at the end of the season, it was like, oh, that guy figured everything out at the snap of a finger. He came in. He somehow took over the mic duties from Anthony Hitchens because he's a smart player. He was able to play all three downs. So he not only got everyone on the same page, he was able to provide a boost to coverage and add more athleticism to the defense. I could see that path. I just, I would be very mad until I was proven wrong. All right, I'm going to throw a couple more out. How about Pat Fryermuth, the tight end out of Penn State? I feel like that's another one I'd be upset about. I don't know if I'd be mad as much as disappointed. Just like I'm not excited for it, but I don't know if I'd be mad because I understand the nuts. concept. It would drive you nuts. It's more, that's, more, that's more kind of playing. So like I tried to go with somebody that I just don't like and just like maybe they could get some quality football out of them and I'll look a lot and he'll look a lot better for it than than I think. But like, Fryermus a guy I like that I just wouldn't love the fit, but also think could potentially work out. Okay, similar to what you kind of just talked. Oh, about I got another one then. Eric Stokes, cornerback out of Georgia. I Ooh. like him a little bit more than Craig does, who is the primary grader. But I went back and watched him. I liked him a little bit more. It didn't give him a first-round grade, but you usually aren't going to get a first-round graded player at the end of round one. So I have him in a range where I think he's possible to go at that point in time. I think he's a really smart player, good in zone coverage, has good ball skills. The Chiefs draft 
finally draft a cornerback early in the draft after securing Legereus Sneed as a cornerback one, they come back with all these other needs and draft a guy that I just don't think has great upside. I like him, but I don't love him. You do that in round one in this particular class. I don't know, that one would drive me nuts a little bit. Can you find somebody that you really don't like that you think could potentially prove you wrong? If you can get buy me some time, yes. Okay. I have one I think could. I have another one I think that might be in your wheelhouse. And I think, honestly, I think, and I kind of, I feel like I kind of hedged with Trey Smith because interior offensive lineman is a place where I think you can get functional starter ability, even though I'm not a fan of the pick. But I, what about Wyatt Davis for you? That would be one that would definitely drive me nuts. And I mean, yeah, if he, if he played as good as some other people out there think he would be, then yes, that would be a good one. But yeah, I don't like how he plays. I think he's very unbalanced in everything he does. He plays very narrow. He has a very small window that he can actually block in. And even then he's overpowered a lot. I just don't like him. I got one more. We should probably move on after this unless you got no, another this one. This is fun. Okay. I, think people, I think people might not hate this conversation. Alex Leatherwood. Because I think <laughs> if you take him in round one, especially, like I'm mostly thinking round one guys here. Alex Leatherwood, if you take him in round one, I think most people are going to assume you're playing him at tackle. Not that you couldn't play him inside, but if you take him at the end of round one, I would assume most people are expecting him to play tackle. And I think you're just, that's a recipe for disaster. I don't think he's going to hold up at the NFL and tackle. I think there will be a lot of ugly losses. You'll be forced to move him inside. And imagine he comes out, you try to play him at tackle in camp. It doesn't work. But by week one, you've kicked him inside to all of a sudden he's a good guard year one. Wouldn't surprise me, but boy, would I be upset at the beginning. Another one, Joseph Osai in the first round. Stop. For me, I would, I would, yeah, I would not like that one either. I'm just saying. Uh, that Wait, was fun. One more, Najee Harris. Just because. That's not realistic. That one's not realistic. Let's just, come on, Matthew. Okay, Travis Etienne, just, because he was mocked to the Chiefs in every single mock draft up to March last year. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. All right, time. Captain Denny, in all of Matt's polls, the Chiefs fans want first-round picks at each position. Who would win, a team of first-round picks or a team of free agent signings, Matthew? It's got to be first-round picks if they're winning all the polls, right? <laughs> I mean, the an entire team of free agent signings, even if I had to start from scratch and fit underneath the cap, would absolutely blast a team of rookie first round draft picks. I don't know if that was the question, but we're going to keep moving on. Grant, t- t- Teenage Mutant Ninja Tuttle, what potential mid first rounder would you like to sl- see slide to the bottom of the first round for Kansas City? I think I think it's got to be an offensive lineman. So if, if a guy like, I don't know where Tevin Jenkins is ultimately going to wind up. I don't know where Elijah Vera Tucker is ultimately going to wind up. But one of those two guys that is, you know, might be that their ceiling is probably that mid first range. I'd love to see one of them fall. And honestly, I don't think it's going to be completely unrealistic that an offensive lineman that, that we all really like winds up available at 31, just because there's only so many teams that are going to be looking to go offensive line in the first round um mac jones (laughs) being in the mix probably i think there's i think there's a scenario where an offensive lineman we like because there's so many quality ones is there that we're going to be happy with and the chiefs will probably pass on them for somebody else uh d johnson 29 if no free agents are added to the receiver room what is the latest in the draft you'd be okay with them taking one 
if they don't add anyone, and that I mean, and I'm assuming that means not bringing back to Marcus Robinson or Sammy Watkins too, then you have to take one by day two at the latest. You can't go into next season with Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman. I'll even give you the benefit of the doubt and say Byron Pringle does come back because he's a exclusive rights free agent. I do. He's believe. coming back. They yeah. have him on lock. So yeah. assuming you have those three, and then you're filling it out with. Uh, Jody Fortson and the uh, ex-Florida wide receiver that they put on the futures contract. Antonio Callaway. Yeah, like that's your wide receiver room. I just don't think you can make it do with that. You would have to take somebody in the top 100 picks. Absolutely. Probably second round at minimum for me, frankly. It just it depends on how the board plays out. Like there may not be someone that we're, I mean, depending on where like a Rashad Bateman goes. I may not even be thrilled about the receivers. Kadarius Tony's another one I may not I may not love if the Chiefs take in the first round. I'm sorry. I just can't fathom uh, a way you can put Tyree Kill, Kadarius Tony, and McCole Hardman on the field at the same time. If you're you drafting Tony, I think your entire plan is to move on from McCole Hardman sooner right. rather than later, which I'm not saying I'm for or against at this point in time. But that has to be the plan if you're drafting a Tony, a Rondale Moore, an Elijah Moore, any of these guys that are slot onlys, that has to be the goal. If you draft Kadarius Tony in the first round, you are admit, you are admitting that you made a huge mistake with McCall Hardman. Or you found a way to run a four-slot wide receiver offense. Mathematically impossible. Well, <laughs> D Silky 10, what, with the potential of Mitchell Schwartz coming back and either drafting or signing a left tackle, where does Yang fit in for next year? Do you keep him as a swing tackle or kick him in at guard? I'd like to see him continue to develop at guard. Uh... Keep an eye on him moving inside the guard. Uh, or I would like to see him develop a tackle, sorry, but keep an eye on him moving inside a guard. Let's just say that. Just keep an eye on that. Kelly Clark, is there any chance Martinez Rankin is the left tackle this season? I know he didn't play in the Super Bowl, but I thought he played good this season, the season that he got hurt. That was at offensive guard, though. I think if Martinez Rankin is the starting left tackle, things have gone awry for the Chiefs in the offensive line yet again. I just don't think he's looked particularly good at tackle for the Chiefs. It's a little different than the other systems. You know, he's played in with the Texans or even going back to college at Mississippi State. They ask their tackles to do a lot more deep vertical setting. They'll, you know, hold off pass rushes a little bit longer. That's not his game. He looks a lot more comfortable in the interior. It's like if he was playing left tackle, I would only hope it's a spot duty for a game or two. Going into the season, expecting him to play at least 10 games while Eric Fisher gets healthy, I think would be just something else had to go wrong just because he's just not a best fit out there. Curtis Clarice asks, how will not having a combine affect the draft? Um, I think it will affect it in a lot of different ways, especially for all of us on the outside looking in. Uh, the combine's a really good, helpful tool for us in measuring some of the athletic testing. Uh, and we are learning very quickly this week, uh, that the numbers by which we will be receiving or the ways we will be receiving numbers, athletic testing is heavily inflated. All these guys, this is his, this is a historically athletic, um, draft process already. Everyone's going to be running four four forties. Um, Trey Smith's going to have an elite, elite three cone and going to run in the four sixes. Um, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's creating problems for us on the outside, uh, for teams themselves. The info gathering process has been greatly reduced. For instance, this is just a, this is just an anecdote, but some teams go to the local college bars 
and do fact finding from the bars. Ask them, ask the bartenders about specific players. Oh yeah. He's here on Tuesday nights. He normally stays till about 2 a.m. These are the kind of, in, this is the kind of info gathering that these teams do on these guys on everyone. So there is a lot of, there's a lot of limitations that these guys are going to have in their ability to gather information on these guys. Yeah, you're definitely going to have NFL coaching staffs and front offices relying on prior relationships or relationships they have with colleges. You're going to have a, like, you're not going to have too many players, I don't think, drafted to teams where there is zero relationship between anybody between the staffs just because you don't know where you're going to get that reliable information on a player's background from. Now, from the outside looking in, we'll never really know that or understand it. We don't know what assistant wide receiver coach, you know, maybe studied with another guy or something at a college. So you, you won't figure it out, but I can guarantee you for these NFL teams, they are going to rely heavily on their relationships within colleges. But as far as teams, I don't know. I think that a lot of scouts aren't hating this so much. They don't have to be on the road. They get to sit at home, just have all the tape delivered to them. They get to watch it. There's no cross-contamination of ideas. I don't know if every scout out there or every team out there is hating that part of the process. I just think they do wish they could dig into the background. And the absolute worst part about No Combine, we're getting no rumors on where these free agents are going. No leaks, nothing. We all just have to sit here on our hands and wait until the Chiefs sign J.J. Watt or Von Miller. I would be, I, <laughs> I would be in Indy probably this last weekend. Which is sad, because Indy's a lot of fun. Uh, Chiefs out west. Darren Waller is exceptional, and I fear that Dan Sorensen, whether on the team or not, can hold can can't hold him. Who is the one target in the upcoming draft that you would trust to erase Waller one versus one, and why? From a realistic perspective, for the Chiefs, I, I mean, I don't think anybody really can one on one. I, I think he's a t total mismatch. Give me Hamza Nasrul Dean the safety out of Florida State, who's probably a round three, round four type player, but he's a massive player, a very good linear athlete that can't really change protect, change direction particularly well, but can definitely carry vertically with Darren Waller. Maybe you have a chance for Hamsa Nasruddin to be able to hold up with him if he's getting his hands and he's playing attached, if he can keep his hands on him. Uh, he'll, he'll be able to run with them vertically, and maybe he can cheat a little bit with his hands. Uh, at the top of the route. So I got two for you guys here because it's just what I like to do with these answers. First, linebacker out of Kentucky, Jamin, Jamon, Jamin Davis. He is the guy that probably covered Kyle Pitts as good as anybody else this season when he was in man coverage against him. Kyle Pitts tied in out of Florida, often compared to Darren Waller. So you take a guy like Jamin Davis, who's a very athletic, good coverage linebacker, who's still trying to get all the nuances of the position down, but he just has the raw athleticism to move with a tight end of that caliber of athlete and has the size to you know, actually defend him at the catch point. But I still think it's a stretch to ask any linebacker to deal with a tight end. So the real true right answer, Afitu Melanfonwu, cornerback out of Syracuse, listed at six foot three, 214 pounds. He may not have the smoothest hips, but he's very fast, very explosive. He's a good athlete. I think if you get him matched up with a tight end like Darren Waller, who doesn't always play the most physical, he stands a good chance to stick in his pocket. You've seen the most success, I think, in the NFL versus these move tight ends is when you can get a bigger, 
cornerback, usually a little bit more physical than Melon Fonwu, but I think Waller allows you to go with more of a finesse guy that can just cover them and compete at the catch point. That's where I think you do usually see the most success. Or freaks like Derwin James. FTW Chiefs, what are your thoughts on Tamori and Terry to the Kansas City Chiefs? I think this is a very common draft crush for a lot of fans of a lot of different teams, especially teams like the Chiefs, whose fans are used to having a ton of speed. Tamori and Terry recently has been, I think it was by Daniel Jeremiah, has come out and said he has touched the fastest mile per hour in college football or even in the NFL over the last couple seasons. So he's, He is a... And real quick, Tamori and Terry, for those that don't know, we're trying to be good about this. He's the wide receiver out of Florida State. Yeah. He is a raw receiver, but very, very fast once he gets going. The only caveat I have with that, I'm pretty sure I know this speed tracking came on a wide receiver screen that went like 98 yards in which he was untouched with a free path for 96 of it. Long strider, long lengthy guy. It makes sense if he's fast to hit those numbers. I just don't think he's that developed as a receiver. I have no problems taking a shot on him on day three. You just haven't seen any development from him as a receiver that you would like to see at this point in time. Maybe it's the program, but personally, I'm a little burned on wide receivers that have not shown a lot of growth and development as of late. The fadeaway, Jay, do you think the Chiefs, uh, we did have, we, I guess we did have a Super Bowl question. Do you think the Super Bowl debacle will cause the Chiefs to want to run screen game more in 2021 so Pat takes less overall hits? No, I think it makes him want to improve the offensive line, frankly. I think that's really what it wants. The screen game, I think, had some... The Chiefs have really had to get more creative with the screen game because a lot of the times you're basing that off of the aggressiveness of the defense and you're wanting to catch them in a good blitz call. Uh and you're wanting them, you know, to kind of have a lot more rushers behind the line of scrimmage. So it's kind of interesting, you know, the Chiefs have kind of adapted. I think you've seen a lot more wide middle screens because you're trying to get keys to wide. You're trying to widen the defense and, and get keys going both directions and slipping something in the middle of the field. But I think, the, you know, because teams can't blitz Mahomes as much, I think they're having... Um, I, I think the screen game may not be quite as effective in some areas as it has in the past, at least with the variety that they have. The Real K Swag, can you give one free agent replacement and one rookie replacement for Watkins and Demarcus Robinson? This is basically like the the gauntlet question for receivers, Matthew. Yeah, well, welcome to the gauntlet, Kit. Reigning champion right here. We can make this a ladder match or a tables and ladders match, whatever they used to be called if you would like. So... The correct answer for the gauntlet, put the 60 seconds on the clock. Free agent signing, Curtis Samuel. We talked a little bit earlier about maybe fading McCole Hardman out. I think Samuel gives you the option to do that. Plus, he's been an effective outside receiver for the Carolina Panthers during his career. He's only gotten better year after year. No, he does not have great size, but he's big enough. He's good enough underneath and going deep. I think he would fulfill everything you could possibly ask for a true number two wide receiver. And then I would wait a little bit later in the draft. I would maybe try to grab a Seth Williams on day three if he was still there. A big-bodied guy gives you a little bit more of a direct Sammy Watkins replacement. He can give you some of the Marcus Robinson blocking, although you gotta you gotta flush out some effort concerns with him. But he's a big receiver, dominates in the red zone. That's something I know Chiefs fans would love. So that way you're just kind of attacking it from both ends with the dynamic playability from Curtis Samuel and the size of Seth Williams and you're not having to overspend for either guy. 
I'm I'm kind of mixing it up a little bit with with I with my variety here as well. I'm going all in on Allen Robinson, the most talented wide receiver in this free agency class. He has thrived with terrible quarterbacks his entire career. He is an absolute terror on defenses. He's a problem on the backside of your formation. Good luck, National Football League, trying to figure out a way to slow down Allen Robinson, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. And guess who would thrive in the slot? Cade Johnson. The wide receiver out of South Dakota State. I went all in and put a lot of assets into the wide receiver position. I'm going to go on day three. Later in day three, I'm going to grab Cade Johnson, the slot receiver out of South Dakota State, a quality possession receiver, a guy that can create separation from the slot against a variety of body types. We saw him have a lot of success. Uh, Savvy at the top of his route, strong hands, good ability to locate the football. I think he's a fun prospect, and he's a guy that the Chiefs can maximize because I think he'll get open. He'll get a lot of space to get open. That offense with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, some some small improvements and some health returning along that offensive line, and a pissed-off organization. Woo! Chills. Kyle Coffey, 11. Thoughts on Puka Williams and would he fit with the Chiefs? I like Puka Williams a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, because he's a 170-pound back. But he doesn't play like a 170-pound back, and that's really the difficult thing for me uh, evaluating him. Um, I, I, so, like If you go put on the tape against Iowa State, you see a guy tracking the football over his shoulder, you know, making some really impressive catches, having a little variety in his routes, good contact balance, really good vision, creativity behind the line, line of scrimmage to solve problems when the blocking isn't good because at Kansas the blocking is abysmal. There's a lot to like about him, but like at the same time, he's a 170-pound running back. Like, What do you do with that? I like him. I don't think he's a fit. I don't really know what, how his fit is in the National Football League. I have a higher grade on him than I believe that he'll translate to the National Football League just because our grading skill doesn't account for the fact that he's uh, unbelievably small. It's such a weird evaluation for him, but I watched a lot of 170-ish pound backs lined up with him, and he was better than all of them. And he had he played bigger and he played 10, 15 pounds bigger as a runner and bounced off guys and, and delivered contact differently than all the other 170 pound backs. The, there are a couple kids from UCF I watched, for instance. There's some really tiny backs I watched. Is the best comparison for Puka Williams Isaiah McKenzie, who has played cornerback and returner and running back and receiver in the NFL? Like, I feel like if you're drafting Puka Williams, you're signing him to essentially be what the Chiefs tried to make Tremont Smith, but like in a significantly smaller package. The problem, the problem is like this is this is where no, this is it's not Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie was fast. Puka Williams doesn't have that long speed. He just has a lot of attributes that you really enjoy watching, and like you just it's all in a hundred seventy pound pound football frame. So what do you do with that? Like honestly, some of it, ugh. Dexter McCluster. Like was McCluster that small though? I feel like he was a little bit more dense than one seventy. But okay, but okay, if he was even if he's one hundred eighty, doesn't have a second gear. You know, some creativity, some versatility. I'm not optimistic about Puka Williams translating to the National Football League, but his tape's really good. It's weird. 
It's I mean, but also, you know, you know whose tape was good in college? Dexter McCluster. Yeah, no, I mean, McCluster, 5'9", 170 pounds. So, hey, if you get Puka Williams to make the transition to slot wide receiver, you can maybe have something until he gets he falls down to every gust of wind that touches him like Dexter he McCluster that's did. the only difference. I know, it was a McCluster I joke. I know, but I'm just trying to say, like, that's one of the things that really stood out to me and surprised me was, like, how impressive his contact balance. I honestly think, though, I one of my notes is he might have to wind up in the slot. I think the only route to potentially making it in the National Football League for him is maybe making it in the slot. And he showed some natural hand catchability and some ability to track the football. I think so. I haven't watched it like this year, this draft cycle right now, but I watched him a little over the summer. I, I saw a guy that just had some issues as a runner too. I think he tried to bounce a lot of stuff outside. Now this was a year ago now, but he tried to bounce a lot of stuff outside partially because the blocking was really bad, but he was just not a guy that was really giving the terrible blocking, albeit a chance to really succeed, always making what I thought were the best cuts. So when you're kind of that style of runner, it does make the most sense at his size. I think to try to kick out into the slot, especially if he's showing some natural ability as a receiver. So maybe maybe there is something there in that regard for him. Yeah, he's a wild eval. He's weird. I really can't wait for y'all to get eyes on him because it's fascinating. All right, that is going to do it for the AP Laboratory Mailbag. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back with the draft show on Wednesday. Be sure to check out everything going on on the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel. We'll catch you later. Make sure to continue tagging Craig in all of your mock drafts.